What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Imagine you were asked to be interviewed on ESPN to answer this one simple question. Who is the most victorious athlete in sports history? I'm sure in your mind right now, you would be reconciling or contemplating, well, is it basketball, is it baseball, is it hockey, or is it golf? Which sport should I, should I go with here? People like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Wayne Gretzky, or perhaps Babe Ruth is perhaps popping in your mind right now. But according to the Washington Post at some point in the past, they interviewed the iconic Celtics coach, Red Auerbach. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. If not, please forgive me. Don't crucify me. But in this article, he suggests strongly that none of those characters are the greatest victorious athletes of all time. He says Bill Russell. And in fact, if you don't know who Bill Russell was, he was a NBA basketball player from back in the day. And he is known as the greatest winner of all time in all major sports. You see, he won 11 NBA titles, two NCAA championships, and an Olympic gold medal. Russell played 21 winner-take-all games and went 21-0. Concerning basketball, there's nobody that compares, not even really Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, or LeBron James. Concerning all sports, Wayne Gretzky, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, Babe Ruth, nobody compares to this level of victory. And today I want to share with you how when we look into the Bible, we see another character of not just victory in sports, but victorious faith. And today I want to talk about the faith of Barak. And if you've ever studied the Bible before, you know that Barak is probably not the one high up on your list of, of people that you remember. In fact, the only times that the Bible even mentions Barak is, is this one word in the New Testament here in verse 32 of Hebrews 11 and going back to Judges chapter 4 and 5. So we know that Bill Russell is a great victorious champion, but we also know that Barak is a man of great victorious faith in the Old Testament. And today, obviously, the writer of Hebrews is preaching this sermon that was written, that was taken and written down. And as he's coming towards the end of his sermon, he doesn't have time to elaborate on all these characters. And so as we read this one name, and of Barak, we understand that, that, that the writer of Hebrews assumes that the crowd that listening to his sermon or reading this letter in the ages to come, like us today, would have some kind of working understanding of the Old Testament, which leads me to believe that as he's preaching, as, he, as this book is being read, it, it was originally written and preached to an audience that was primarily Jewish, and they were believers in the Messiah. And so the title of my message is The Faith of Barak, but if I could elaborate on that title, if I could give you a thought today 
that you could leave with. Here's what I want to drive home today in this message. Faith in God is the doorway to victory. Did you hear me? Faith in God is the doorway to victory. If you want to have a victorious life, you don't need to win 11 NBA titles like Bill Russell or become an athlete like Tiger Woods or these others. All you need to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and it will give you the key that will unlock the door to the victorious life in Christ. Now, that being said, I know that you're probably not familiar. Maybe maybe you are. Maybe you're a scholar of the, the book of Judges. I don't know. Maybe you are. But likely, you probably don't know a whole lot about Barak. In other words, what I'm saying is if, I, if somebody came to you and said, hey, can you summarize the life of Barak for me? Most likely, you wouldn't be able to do that. So today, the goal of the message is to, to, to reiterate this thought throughout the entirety of the message, faith in God is the glory of victory, but also to, to ask the question, what does Barak's life teach us about victorious faith in God. So if you have your Bibles there, we know that the writer of Hebrews is is talking about this great hall of faith of all these characters who are living out faith in the ancient world. But now I want to draw you back to the context of the thought here and of Barak in Judges chapter 4 and 5. Now, before we dive into the book of Judges, maybe you're here today, maybe you've never read the book of Judges before. I don't know. So if you have, this will be a nice review, but if you haven't, you need to understand this. The book of Judges is, is a cycle. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like a circle, and there's kind of five points on the circle. The first point is Israel sins. They begin to worship false gods. Then, then God sends oppressors to come and overtake them. Then Israel cries out to God. God raises up a deliverer to come, or a judge, if you will, to come and, and overcome these other people who are oppressing them. And then there's peace in the land. And then after a time period of peace, Israel goes back into sin, back into the oppressors, back into confessing to God for help, back into another deliverer being raised up, back into peace again. That's the cycle of the book of Judges from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 21. That's all it's taken place. And in fact, if you study the book of Judges, you will realize and you will come to the understanding that this is a time period of Israel's darkest days in the ancient world. And the first thought I want to share with you is from chapter 4, verses 1 and 3. Consider this. Faith finds victory in oppression through repentance to God. Faith finds victory in oppression through repentance to God. In verse number one of the book of Judges chapter four, we read about how Israel, the common phrase throughout the whole book of Judges is they did evil in the eyes of God. In other words, they went after false gods, they were worshiping them, and they failed to keep the covenant that God gave to their forefathers. And here we find they, in verse number two, the Bible says that God gave them over to another group of people, these Canaanites. And so, in verse number one, by the way, this is a verse that summarizes the fact that the Israelites were no longer living like God. They were now living like the pagans of the culture. And I actually, I believe that the book of Judges is so applicable for us today. Because we live in a culture that is less like God and more like the pagans of the past seeking pleasure and wealth and fame and and worshiping all these materialistic items instead of worshiping the God who created this world. Faith 
in God is the doorway to victory. So if you want victory over your sin, you've got to cry out to God in repentance. And verse number two, the Bible says that this God, this God of, of Israel, Yahweh, is the one who gave them over into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And he's the captain. The captain of his host was, in other words, there was a leader in his army named Sisera. And they dwelt in Harasheth of the Gentiles. And the Bible says in verse number three that for 20 years, Israel was underneath their oppression. For 20 years, they were in bondage to these Canaanites. But it is in this moment, in verse number three, Israel cried out to God for help. And even in the middle of the darkest days of Israel's past, we see the mercy of God right here. That when any people who call God their Lord is straight away and they are wanting to get back in right relationship with God and they cry out to God, God will send help and a deliverer. And in fact, I believe that all of the judges, if you will, all the deliverers in the book of Judges is pointing us to a greater deliverer and his name happens to be Jesus. Because just as these deliverers were raised up or judges were raised up to deliver them from these oppressors, God sent his son Jesus to deliver us of the greatest oppressor that is Satan and sin itself and death and hell itself so that we can have victory by faith in Jesus. So maybe today you're not like Israel. You're not being held captive by some other nation. But maybe you're here today and you're being held captive. Maybe you're in prison to your own sin and you think there's no way out of this. I tell you, there is a way and his name is Jesus. Repentance is just simply a reversal of mentality and understanding that God is God and that he sent his son Jesus to come and die on the cross and that we put our faith in him. We, we stop uh, worshiping these false idols and we start worshiping the true God of the universe. And then when God comes inside of our lives, that is when the transformation takes place. You don't have to live a perfect life to come to God. All you have to do is come to God by faith, confessing your sin and seeking to live a life. That's well-pleasing before God. Faith in God is the doorway to victory. I wonder, do you have that victory today? Have you walked through the doorway of salvation that gives us that great peace? Well, secondly, I want to draw your attention to verses 4 through 10 of Judges chapter 4. Not only does faith find victory in oppression through repentance to God, but, but consider this. Faith finds victory in salvation through deliverance to God. What does Barak's life teach us about the victorious faith in God? Well, it teaches us that we can have deliverance. It teaches us that we can have redemption. It teaches us that we can have forgiveness. It teaches us that we can be saved from our transgressions. Notice verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5 speaks to us, to my understanding, now correct me if I'm wrong, please enlighten me if I'm wrong, but this is the only specific time in Israel's history from Genesis all the way to Malachi, to the best of my memory, where God actually raises up a woman to deliver Israel. That is the nation. Now keep in mind these deliverers were, were at times they would see, oversee the entirety of the nation of Israel, then over times they would only oversee portions of it or regions. And so here, in this particular case, the Bible says that God raised up Deborah. Now, keep in mind, this is a time in Israel's past when it's very dark. God looked to all the men, and there was no men willing to come and deliver 
deliver Israel from these oppressors. So God raises up a woman who is willing in addition to Barak. And so, in fact, as I study the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we know that two women are mentioned, Rahab and Sarah. I, I, as I think about Barak, I'm like, oh, God, why, why doesn't the writer of Hebrews mention Deborah instead of Barak? Because, in fact, we could really say the faith of Deborah is what led Barak to go and fight these people and defeat them. Interesting. Verse 5 says that she judged in verse 4, Israel at that time. They, in other words, they would come to, to her. Do not, under, do not misunderstand that she's not, she doesn't have this white hair ga- uh, wig. She is not dressed in black. She doesn't have that, that, um, that hammer-like thing. I'm forgetting what it is, a gaffle or whatever it's called, that, that hammer that they, they're not standing there in the courtroom. This is not that kind of judge, okay? This is the concept of they come to her for advice and then she is there to help deliver them from oppressors. And if there are matters that she needed to deal with, she would deal with them. But verse five says, she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah. Now, if we lived in Israel, all you have to do is go to any palm tree and I'm sure somebody would, would put a sign up that this is the place where Deborah sat down. I'm sure if you've ever been to Israel, you know it's an amazing place, but you know how commercialized it is also. But it says that she sat there between Ramah and Bethel and Mount Ephraim. And there she would oversee all these different issues that were brought before her concerning Israel. But in verse 6, she sends to find a man named Barak. And she says, hasn't God, the Lord of Israel, commanded you to go and gather 10,000 people to go and defeat this army? And then she quotes God and says, God said, I will draw unto you to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. The word deliver is is the idea of saving or the idea of salvation. But then check out Barak's response. Barak's response is, some people say that this is a response of lack of faith. Whereas some people would say that it's actually a response of faith in the leader of Israel at the time. So however you land, notice it says, Barak says, if you will go with me, then I will go. He was a little hesitant and reluctant to go and fight this mighty army of the past, which maybe he's rightfully so. But it says, but if you will not go with me, then I'm not going to go. Then she responds and, and says, all right, all right, Mr. Barak, I will surely go with you. But keep in mind, you will not receive the honor or the glory over this victory. In fact, the Lord is going to give Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, you got to keep in mind, in the Old Testament world, women were, were not viewed as a person of great stature in society. And so the concept of here, that, that this woman who's, who's a prophetess, who's, who's a, a spokesperson on behalf of God in the Old Testament, and now she's leading Israel in Israel's darkest days, is now looking to this man, Barak, who's a general of the army, and says, hey, listen, as a general of the army, you need to understand, you're not going to receive honor, you're not going to kill Sisera. A woman who is nameless will do so. And then the Bible says, Deborah rose up and went with Barak. 
So interesting how this time of faith, these, both of these characters, Deborah and Barak, are in a sense emphasizing a little bit of faith in God who's going to do great things. And, and listen today, it doesn't take a massive amount of heroic faith in God to be uh, experience this deliverance through salvation. All it takes is a mustard seed faith looking back to the cross and saying, Jesus, I believe that you can deliver me from the enemy called Satan and sin, and I can experience salvation. But verse number 10, Barak goes and he calls up from two tribes of the nation of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali, or Naphtali, and they, they bring them to Kadesh. And there they go up, 10,000 people, and Deborah is there with them. What an amazing story. How a reluctant man said, I will only go if a woman goes along with us. Now keep in mind here, the idea behind Barak most likely is saying, hey, as long as the leader of Israel, the one who's supposed to have the hand of God on their life is with us, and if they're with us, then, then hey, we're, we're going to be okay. But if Deborah's not going to be with us, then listen, we better off not go. That's the idea, I think, is behind this story. Not to the fact that Barak had no faith, but that Barak had faith in God, that God would send his, his, his person along with them to there give victory. Now, that being said, consider this again. Faith in God is the doorway to victory. Do you have that faith? Do you have that victorious faith in Christ today to where you can experience deliverance and you can go overcome the oppression of sin through repentance and faith? But may I draw your attention now to verses 11 through 24. Thirdly, what does Barak's life teach us about victorious faith in God? Well, we discovered that faith finds victory in oppression through repentance to God. Faith finds victory in salvation through deliverance to God. But thirdly, I want you to think about this. Faith finds victory in protection through allegiance to God. Faith finds victory and protection through allegiance to God. Verse 11 gives us a little commentary here uh, because in verse number 17, verse 11 will play um, a major part here. Speaks about this person, Heber, uh, the Kenite, who was, uh, who was related to, to Moses. He had severed his relationships with the Kenites and he set up his tent in an area near Kadesh. And the Bible says that it just kind of, that's there. Verse 11 is just there. It's like, wow, why is that even there? Well, it will come back to play in verse number 17. But the Bible goes on, transitions here, and speaks about how they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. So these people, um, Sisera comes to this guy Heber, and he directs him where to go, go to this mount, mountain. And so Sisera gathers his army of chariots, 900 chariots of iron. We don't know exactly the exact figure of the army here, but it was probably a massive amount of army. They had all the luxurious weaponry of their time, and they're there chasing down Barak and the army. And so Deborah speaks up and says to Barak, get up, for this is the day which God is going to deliver Sisera into your hand. Is not the Lord gone out from before you? And so Barak goes down to Mount Tabor, excuse me, down from Mount Tabor, along with his 10,000 men. And there it says that the Lord, now notice here in verse 15, Verse 15, all it says is that the Lord discomfited Sisera. This gives the idea here in this passage in verse 15 of how God shows up 
disturbs this army in such a way that it gives a great commotion and then he breaks them, consumes them, crushes them, and destroys them. Now, if you just read this, you might be thinking, well, maybe, um, maybe um, the army killed them all. But if you actually go into verse 21 of chapter 5, it says the river of Kishon swept them away. So here's the idea. God uses Barak and his army to defeat them in addition to the river swallowing up some of these people. Perhaps it was a flood that overtook this army. But it says, but there in verse 15, it also says with the edge of the sword before Barak. And so here Barak sees the army defeated. In other words, what I think is going on here is another miracle of God on display. Okay? In verse 21 of chapter 5, a river comes, sweeps them away. Verse 15 of chapter 4, it speaks about the sword of the, of the army of Barak helps there and defeats them. In other words, God steps in and gives victory. And as I think about this, these Israelites are there. They, they are definitely given a good charge. It's almost like they were shot up with some great energy juice there to go conquer the world even more. But in, in addition to this, when God shows up and protects his people, what it does, it gives... A, an extra level of allegiance to the cause of the Lord. Now listen, our ultimate allegiance is not to any country in this world. It is to the God of this world. We are thankful, of course, because we are here in America. We are thankful to be born here. We are thankful that God in his sovereignty and in his providence allowed us to be born here. But we understand that our ultimate allegiance is to God because God delivers us from our sin, not the Constitution of America or the Declaration of Independence. Only Jesus forgives sin. I think there's this idea sometimes that the world has that all Americans are Christians and Christians are Americans. But, but understand this. America does not equal Christianity. And Christianity does not equal America. There's no doubt America was founded upon biblical principles. But that does not mean America is exclusively a Christian nation. In fact, in all the important documents of our past, there's no exclusive reference to Jesus being king. There is a reference to a creator and a higher power. And so this leads me to believe that even though we're thankful to be in America, our ultimate allegiance does not lie in being a citizen here. We are just pilgrims passing through. And so as we look to the cross, we know that it is God's work on display through his son, and that is where our ultimate allegiance lies, in Jesus, because God defeats the great enemy, Satan, and conquers death, hell, and sin. No earthly power. Egypt, as powerful as it was, cannot do that. Babylon, as powerful as it was, cannot do that. Sisera and his army, as powerful as it was, cannot do that. And even America itself cannot do that. So today, while we are thankful for our armed forces protecting us here, we know our ultimate protection comes from God. So I wonder, would you be like Barak, who valiantly pursued this army in verse 16. Keep in mind that Sisera lighted off of his chariot and he ran away. He was just him alone that was survived, apparently. And Barak and his army pursues after them. 
And that leads us to verse 17. This is probably, you know, a lot of people think that the Bible is a boring book, but actually Judges tells us otherwise. In fact, if you were to take the book of Judges and put it into a movie form and do it exactly the way it is, it would probably be X-rated. It is a crazy book at times, and especially here in verse 17 and following. Verses, remember, 11 and 12 give us this idea of Heber the Kenite. But then verse number 17 speaks about how Sisera flees away. He runs away and he finds Jael, or Jael, however you want to pronounce it, the wife of Heber the Kenite. And there he, he comes to her, their house and she invites him in and says, do not fear, do not fear, do not be afraid. Come on in. And you know the story probably. He goes in and he says, hey, I'm a little thirsty. Can I get some water? And she gives him milk to drink and covers him. And there he says, hey, if there's anybody that comes to the door, would you please just tell him nobody's here? Because you got to keep in mind, he's being hunted. It'd be like Adolf Hitler running away. Of course, you would want to find him. And so here, this man lies down and falls asleep. And verse 21, have you ever been camping before? You know, if you go to Walmart here, let's say we're going to go camping. We go to Walmart, you buy a tent. Don't get the cheapest one, by the way. Um, <laughs> and don't get the most expensive one. But, you, but you're going to have these tent pegs. They're kind of like stakes. And you take them, you're going to tie them up, and then you stake them in the ground after you get the tent set up. Because if the wind blows, then, and they're not staked in, then you're not going to have a good night. Okay? Or you might go hiking somewhere, and that tent's just going to fly away. So they would have done this too. Just as we would stake it in and... They had these stakes that they put in to hold their tents up. Remember, they were nomadic in this time period. They didn't necessarily have a home like we did at all times. They were moving from place to place and place. And so here, the Bible says that this lady, Jael, Heber's wife, takes a nail or a stake from the tent and goes in while he is sleeping, this man, Sisera, drives the stake into his skull. Don't mess with that lady. I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> then Barak comes, and she lets him in to see the victory. Fulfilling the prophecy that was earlier in the chapter. Remember, Deborah looks, the prophetess, looks to, looks to Barak and says, hey, a woman will deliver this man, Sisera. And here's the fulfillment right here. Reminding us today... That, that God is going to defeat our enemies through sometimes the most unlikely of characters. I also thought about this. When we are not afraid about who gets the glory, we can accomplish a lot for Jesus. If we're so consumed about, well, this is my message, or this is my song, or this is my ministry, or this is my class, or this is my, 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 we have the wrong focus here. It's God's and God is allowing us to be in the moment of this place. And it is God who gave us that sermon. It is God who gave us that lesson. It is God who gave us that ministry. It is God who gives us the opportunities. And so we need to always reflect the glory back to him because he is our ultimate allegiance. And we are not our ultimate allegiance, not of ourselves, because we know that no power in us can accomplish anything that God says about unless he steps in. And so here we see in verse 23... And verse 24, that God subdues, this gives the idea that he's going to, 
he's going to take his foot, just like you might take, a, take a, your foot. You see a spider running around your house, and you just stomp that spider, and you, you begin to twist to make sure that thing is dead. The idea of subdue is, is vanquish and destroy in such a way, and you crushed him. He subdued them, destroyed them. And then it says, the hand of God made Israel to prosper and prevailed against this king. And then that king and his kingdom were destroyed. In chapter 5, we're not going to walk through all the verses, but I want to share with you a fourth thought today, the fourth and final thought. Not only faith finds victory and protection through allegiance to God. You've got to understand, God is the one protecting you. There are times when God uses countries or people to help in that process, but God is the one who's ultimately protecting us. Faith finds victory in salvation through deliverance to God. Faith finds victory in oppression through repentance to God. But then check this out, fourthly and finally, faith finds victory in liberation through obeisance to God. Now, you may not know what the word obeisance means, but it gives the idea of praising God through obedience and so as we look in chapter 5, but you keep in mind, if you're ever going to study the life of Deborah and the life of Barak, you cannot study chapter 4 only, or you cannot study chapter 5 only. You've got to study them together. And so in chapter 5, Deborah and Barak burst out in a song of praise to God. And our praise is to be clearly directed to God. Now I know, whatever you listen to in your personal life is between you and God. But I make it a big deal when we gather in this place because it is a place set aside for worshiping Jesus that our music here should clearly worship God and his son, Christ Jesus. Not vaguely, but clearly. And then notice here in verse number two, he speaks, they speak about praising the Lord. The one who avenged Israel speaks about, I will sing to the Lord in verse three. In verse number nine, he said, they say, bless the Lord. They are clearly worshiping God through this song, but like many of the songs of the ancient world, they were also stories that told a great truth and summarized events. And so here in this chapter, we see that, that our praise should describe the power of God in, in addition. And here in this chapter, chapter five, Deborah and Barak are looking back and just describing and retelling the event that God did to destroy Sisera and these people in battle. But then verse 31, I want to draw your attention here. Look at verse 31. It says, So let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goes forth in his might, and the land had rest 40 years. Previously, they were 20 years in oppression, and now they're going to experience 40 years of freedom and peace. And so our praise has got to be a prayer of thanksgiving to God. When we praise God, it's got to be clearly about Him. It's got to describe His attributes in some way, shape, or form, and it's got to express gratitude to God. My friends, faith in God is the doorway to victory. That's what we need today. We need victorious faith. You know, as I was praying and Preparing for this message, Judges chapter 5 is, is probably one of the oldest songs recorded in the scriptures, and it made me think of music. Begin to think to myself, what, what, what song could be a theme of these two chapters? Well, I was reminded of a guy named Eugene Bartlett Sr., who was born in 1885 in Missouri, and he became one of the most prolific musicians of his time period. 
songwriter, producer, and publisher. It was those gifts that God gave him that would allow him to display a great truth about God later in his life. He married his childhood sweetheart in 1917. They had two lovely children. And, and early in his life, thousands of his books that he compiled different hymns in were being sold all over the United States. And then Bartlett, along with his colleagues, founded a, a company called Hartford Music Company in 1918. He spent much traveling. He, he spent much time traveling and singing and teaching people music. You got to understand, back in those time periods, life was different. Just as we had traveling preaching evangelists, you also had traveling singing teachers and instructors who would go to different communities and teach people music and sing and do all these different things. And he was involved in that. And all seemed to be just going quite well for him until 1939. He was 58 years old and he had a terrible stroke, which left him paralyzed without the ability to walk or speak, which meant he could no longer sing about his amazing God. He could have easily decided to give up and accept defeat, but he continued to believe in the sovereignty of God and continued to look to God for his victory in those trials. It was in this major catastrophe of his life that he penned one of the most iconic Christian hymns of all times, of all time. The song came to Bartlett when he began to think about the day that Christ gloriously saved him. He decided to write a song of hope and victory, even when it seemed like all he could do was, was see defeat. Still unable to sing and travel, Bartlett left his son with the responsibility to share this song to the world. It was first sung publicly in the state of Texas and has since traveled all the world declaring the anthem that there is victory in Jesus. And that is the title of the song. Just a couple of years after his stroke, stroke in 1939 and in 1941, he tragically passed away. And now he observes the ultimate victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. In conclusion, I have two questions I want to ask you. The first one is simply this. Have you experienced the victorious faith in Christ? Have you? Maybe you're trying to find victory in all sorts of things. It's easy. We're all guilty of it. So if you don't know Jesus, I assure you, you can have victory over everything this life brings to you. Whether it's a trial, whether it's sin, whether it's temptation, whatever it is, you can overcome. And then secondly, what are you doing? If you know Jesus, if you've experienced that victory, victorious faith, what are you doing to share that faith in Christ to the world? My friends, faith in God is the doorway to victory. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless.
Keep the faith.